For me, it's impossible that you need to go to work and not have emotions and then go home and have emotions. So once you understand that, you'd stop expecting people to be different just because it's business, just because it's work. I will say that I still think that the one-on-one -on -one direct conversation, even if it's very brief, is incredibly important now more than ever where I'm not physically with my teams. I'm having to be with them virtually. And remember, if we're talking about culture, little things can become big problems fairly quickly. If somebody's upset about things and they're not sharing it with you, that, trust me, they are sharing it with their colleagues and then their colleagues are getting upset about it. Hi, and welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of coffee business magazine, Fifth Wave. Teams. Teams can achieve extraordinary things when human beings feel united and pull in the same direction. But building a powerful team culture comes difficult in a cafe setting, or indeed in any work setting. Cafe businesses are a seven-day-a-week affair. Scheduling is a nightmare. Staff often work different shifts from each other. And sister cafes frequently are miles apart. And yet the stakes are high. Creating a great team culture is essential in this industry because the quality of customer service is often the factor which sets one cafe apart from the other. In this episode, we're exploring how three successful companies foster powerful, unified cultures that help their teams and their businesses thrive across geographies and even through pandemics. We speak with Guido Bernardinelli, CEO of La Mazzocco, and unpack the company's management and leadership framework known as the four Ps. We pick up the phone with Leila Gambari, director of cafes at Stumptown Coffee, to understand how Stumptown is managing its cafe chains through this pandemic. We're kicking off things with Edwin Harrison, who along with his wife Magda, co-owed Artisan, operating a chain of five London coffee shops, a roastery, and a training school with over a thousand students who've worked through their doors. Edwin spoke expertly at an Allegra event a few years ago about how he creates a caring team culture in his business. And I was fascinated. So I wanted to share his insights here again on Fifth Wave. In this conversation, Edwin offers the simple yet effective principles that keep his business on track and empower his employees. Well, I'm delighted to be here with Edwin Harrison. Welcome, Edwin. Thank you. You know, no doubt COVID's had quite an impact on your business. Perhaps you could just share a little bit the, the sort of the journey of COVID. I think there is when it hits you, wow, everything that we've built over the last 10 years, is it on the line? And then at the same time, you've got to sort of ask yourself, well, okay, how do we get through this? Where are the opportunities? And I think when Mo and I sat down with a glass of wine, when it was all happening, we said, well, the one thing that sets us apart is we have an amazing team. So the first thing we need to do is find a way to look after them and protect them. And this was before furlough and all these sorts of things. So we very quickly came up with a literally back of a napkin idea of selling our beans for a donation. And customers came from far and wide and they would donate and everything was going to go to support the team. I think it was a real signal to the team right from the start that we cared and we were going to get through this together. And fast forward sort of 10 months, 12 months, we're still going through this, but we still have that core team and we're still looking after each other and we're actually going okay. I think what I'd love to do is maybe like share a little bit about how would you describe the culture? It's a husband and wife team, so. It's a husband and wife yeah. team, yeah. And I think actually at the core, I think that's a great place to start. I think we're a family business. 
And although we've expanded at its very core, it's still a family business. I think in terms of culture, it's hugely important that you're proud of the culture that you create. Ultimately, the business you create as an owner is a representative of yourself, I suppose. And therefore, if you look around and the culture is one that is caring, nurturing, that looks after each other, that achieves, that also performs well, then that is one that you can be very proud of. So the big question is, how do you do it? (laughs) I think from the start, for me, it's about leading by example. And we, right at these early days, we put that at the heart of everything we do. For example, even if Magda and I go into one of our shops, we still pay for our own pastries or our own coffees or, you know, anything we buy in our shops, even though it makes no sense at all, a bar for the tax man. It just shows that we expect everyone to behave the same and leading by example is important. And I think if you can install that from the start and something as simple as that, we don't overcomplicate it. That is the one philosophy we adhere to. People get it and they begin to buy into it. When we do reviews, we say 80% of your review is based on have you led by example. And as your company has grown, how has this influenced keeping that culture? And I think the way you structure things needs to be really carefully looked at. And the managers that you employ need to have the same values as you would as an owner. And then you need to be able to empower those people to actually make decisions. And I think one of the really interesting dynamics is having a business that's operational and has systems in place, yet having managers that feel empowered to make changes and they feel like they have ownership. So, of course, we have procedures for opening a kitchen in the morning. Yet at the same time, we need to empower the team to feel like they have ownership over the shop. So to feel like they have decision making and they genuinely do on how the display looks or what their opening hours might be. These decisions that can make them feel proud of what they're doing and actually make them really feel like they have their opinion and it really is valued within their job role that they're doing that sort of sense of ownership does that relate in any shape or form to say pay rates bonuses i don't think pay and bonuses should be the sole motivator of performance i think there needs to be a lot of other more powerful factors i think you should be the middle ground personally i think you should pay well maybe not the most amazing pay because often you find the the places that pay the really top bucks have (laughs) really bad culture And they're having to compensate with pay. In my experience, that doesn't work. And what sort of other rewards would you look to give to your staff? Yeah, I think it's a collection of everything, isn't it? I mean, for one, it needs to be ongoing, consistent communication and feedback of you're doing great. But then you need to acknowledge in front of other people, for example, so shout outs and emails, you know, these things in front of the peers to then keep making things that tie in. So, for example, we're big into training. We're luckily we have the Artisan Coffee School. So when people become a senior within Artisan, then they go on a program where they suddenly get all this extra training when it comes to SCA courses. And that motivates people in itself. So I think where you can tie benefit to something that then creates a pathway for career progression, it works really well. What sort of tools do you use? What role does technology play in keeping that culture thriving? I think communication is at the heart of a good culture, really. And we often remind ourselves that you've got to communicate five ways to get any sort of message through. What doesn't work is thinking, right, I've sent them a one-line email, I'm done. You know, you've got to think, okay, 
I've sent them an email, but next time I see them, I'm going to make sure I have a chat about it. And then also I'm going to send them a text message saying thank you. And the other thing is I think you've got to keep your communication very simple. I remember even at the start of Corona back in March, we said, right, we need to really simplify things. We built a little Corona task force of myself and two of our team members, and everything was directed there. And clear communication was then filtered through there. Each one of us had an area of expertise that we were going to look after. Maybe it was the customers, maybe it was the team, maybe it was about health and safety. But you've always got to be on top of this communication. You can't overcomplicate it. One thing I think is great, though people get slightly annoyed by it, is WhatsApp. It has helped us to have little teams, little groups, little chats, barista chats, shop chats. But then you need to have the ability to catch people's problems early. And that might be making sure people feel comfortable in communicating to you. And we had a thing called Moan Up, which was where if anyone had a problem, they needed to moan up to somebody because they could deal with it rather than just moaning to their colleagues. But I think the most important thing here is to make sure your team feel like they can chat, they can come and have a talk, but you have to almost build in that structure. They have to know that maybe a chat's coming or something like that so that they can communicate any problems. Because we find if you catch those niggles early, you can nearly always solve them. And remember, if we're talking about culture, little things can become big problems fairly quickly. If somebody's upset about things and they're not sharing it with you, that, trust me, they are sharing it with their colleagues and then their colleagues are getting upset about it. You know, so you've got to always keep your eye on the ball and make sure you're there for your team. And what about the concept of customer first or team first? Hmm. It's a mixture, isn't it? Because one plays against the other. I often remind the team, for example, that that research that was done by Oxford University that said if somebody receives poor customer service, the English being the English, will generally tell about 20 people. And it's true, I even find myself, unfortunately, in dinner parties, you know, like, oh, you complain about something that happened. But if we receive amazing, exceptional customer service, we generally tell two or three people. Now, I think that's really sad. And it's a behavior that I wish we would change. Now, if you just unpick that for a second and think that the person who's serving that customer, if they're having a bad day, they're hungover, they've broken up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, and they're in a bad mood, if they're giving bad service... They only need to speak to 10 people for over 200 people in the local area to know not to come back Mm. by that rationale. Now, if you think, well, actually, coffee shops serve the local population, that could be a good 20% of your customer base that within one hour has been told they should never go to that shop. So therefore, you have to look after your team to be able to look after the customer. And you have to know when that person is not, not in the right headspace. And you have to have the systems in place and the team in place to know that they need to step in and they need to care. We now hop across to the northwest coast of America to speak with Leila Gambari, director of cafes at Stumptown Coffee. Stumptown is the iconic Portland-based cafe chain and roastery, started by Dwayne Sorensen in 1999. And during the pandemic, Their grocery business has performed extremely well, and now Stumptown is a best-selling, premium-priced whole bean coffee brand across the United States. However, their cafe operations were hard hit by COVID, forcing them to temporarily close four of their 12 cafes. In this conversation with Layla, we learn how she navigates her teams through this choppy economic storm, guided by empathy and strong communication. She's also well-placed to lead this ship, a former U.S. barista champion, a member of the Executive Council of the Barista Guild of America, 
Lila spent many years working in her Iranian father's cafe chain, Cherry Street Coffee House. Welcome, Lila. Excited to be here. Well, Stumptown really needs no introduction. Such a famous brand, especially across the USA. What would you say is unique about the Stumptown culture? Stumptown was founded by artists. Dwayne himself was very into music, and a lot of the people that worked there were musicians and artists, and it, it very much bred into everything. And a lot of the marketing was art made by the baristas, and, and those are really cornerstone experiences. I believe that Stumptown really values their employees. This last year, with the social unrest and the inequalities that have always been there but have really come to the surface of conversation this past year, has resulted in Stumptown needing to take a look internally, address the things that need to be changed, and develop the things that we've already been doing a really great job of and continue to push those forward. And that makes me feel incredibly valued that my individual experience is important to them. And so that company culture of recognizing change, adapting, evolving is why I continue to stay there and why I think that Stumptown will be a force of a brand as we continue on. Tools, technology, systems, what what do you need to put in place to be a good communicator to your teams? I will say that I still think that the one-on-one direct conversation, even if it's very brief, is incredibly important now more than ever where I'm not physically with my teams. I'm having to be with them virtually. I need to see them. And this allowed for that empathy. You know, if I'm just communicating via email, it doesn't allow me to see maybe the struggles that they're not talking about. I mean, I'll be quite honest. This last year, a lot of my one-on-one Zoom meetings with my team We'll start off immediately with tears because it's really, it's been really hard. It's been stressful and people are worried and they're scared and they don't know what's going to happen. And so me sitting with my team and feeling what they're feeling and listening to their experience, because the truth of the matter is I'm having a different experience than my cafe managers. I work from home. And so I need to see and sit with their experiences in order to know how to appropriately respond. So I think technology has been incredibly important for us, but I don't think it will ever replace that real human connection that's necessary. So I wonder if you could paint a picture of the the situation, you know, the last 10, 11 months now with COVID Mm -hmm. and how that impacted the business and how you had to adapt your communication with your team. You know, Stumptown has been incredibly lucky in a lot of ways that we are a diversified company. Our wholesale and our retail are down pretty dramatically. Ultimately, we unfortunately did have to lay off over half of our teams. We just didn't have the space for them as we as we reopened in, in a smaller model. It was a lot of really, really hard conversations, but we had every single one of them in person. You know, these weren't through emails. These were phone calls. These were Zoom. It's important, again, for them to see that and to know that there's a human there that understands what's happening and is sorry for what's happening. So it's been incredibly challenging, but I'm going to be quite honest, although in terms of the numbers, we're not as strong as we were last year. You know, 2019 was a really great year for us. I would say that as a department, as a team, we're stronger than we ever have been. The managers of our cafes have been absolutely amazing. I'm just so proud of how they've handled this, which gives me so much hope and excitement for the remainder of this year and moving into 2022. Sounds very much like that quote that I heard once, the comeback is going to be stronger than the setback. Yeah. Lily, can you tell me a little bit more about how you manage 
the managers in your cafes? Ultimately, the managers are the ones that need to build that relationship with their team. I think that as the manager, sometimes they feel like they don't have a lot of control. They just have to open the store and make sure the staff's there and, and make sure the numbers are hitting the, you know, what they're at. But I want them to feel like they have control over what's happening and the decisions we're making. And to be honest, it's hard sometimes to push back when your boss says something to you. You're like, okay, you know, I'll do that. Even if I don't really know if that's the right decision or I don't think that's achievable, you just feel like you have to say yes. And one of the best things I think that has come out of this last year is I've started to get positive pushback from my team. I'll bring something to them and they'll say, you know, I I think that my customers would prefer it done this way. And that's been so encouraging to me to hear them feel that they have a voice in the decision-making for their cafe to me has been one of the greatest successes that have come out of this last year. Very profound, actually. Is there any sort of big special tip that you just wish you would have known earlier? If I could go back and teach my young self one thing, it really would be empathy. Each generation has had to come up with their own challenges. You know, for me, starting off in coffee, I had a lot of mentors that were older women in coffee that had already had their successful careers that I I looked to for mentorship. And they had their own challenges in dealing with being a woman in the industry. And a lot of it for them was that they had to deal with misogyny because it was a norm. I feel like in my generation, we've started to at least talk about it. It's become more of a topic of conversation that we can address and communicate about it, where I think now <laughs> it, is, it is unacceptable. You have to be thinking about racial equality and gender equality within your business, or I don't believe your business will succeed. And so to me, empathy and understanding of other people's experiences is how you grow your team, is how you create these lasting relationships, the trust that you need. I really believe that your leadership must reflect your membership. And so if you want to have a diverse team, your leadership also needs to be diverse. I can't expect that if my team is all white men, that I'm going to get different ethnic backgrounds and genders coming into my cafes and feeling safe there. There has to be reflection in the leadership. And so again, you know, it comes back to that empathy and understanding that each person's experience is different and that that is their experience and that it's valid. And I think that if I would have known that at an earlier age, I could have been a far more effective leader. But now it is what fuels every decision I make is the understanding of the experience that my team is going through that is different than my experience. And that's okay. But it is their experience and they're the people that I'm responsible for. Layla Gambari is the director of cafes for Sump Down Coffee Roasters. Can't thank you enough for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. We're closing off this exploration into team culture by speaking with Guido Bernardinelli, who's the CEO of La Mazzocca. La Mazzocca's story is legendary, starting out as a manufacturer of lights for horse carts in the 1920s. The business soon pivoted to producing espresso machines in their Florence factory. In 1994, American Kent Bakke invested in the Italian company and then helped to take the emblematic line global. Today, the company employs 450 people and produces thousands of premium specialty coffee machines every year. 
In this conversation, Guido takes us through La Mazzocco's leadership framework, the four Ps, that helped to produce their impressive growth over the years and today underpins their unique company culture. I'm delighted to be here today with Guido Bernardinelli, who's the CEO of La Mazzocco. Welcome, Guido. Thank you, Jeff. Now, La Mazzocco is seen as a cool, creative brand. It's iconic. How do you describe the internal culture of La Mazzocco? When we started to grow and the goal was maintaining our culture, remaining who we are. And that's a big challenge because most companies, they naturally move into rules and regulations and policies in micromanagement in an attempt to manage growth, to manage increase of staff and distribution, increase of number of customers. And we made a point upon ourselves not to do that. So we decided to move from an artisan workshop to an artisan factory. So everything around the construction and the development of artisan machines was developed with the latest and coolest groundbreaking technologies, but we never touched the way to produce machines, the way to sell machines and the dialogue with the barista and the end user. I'd love to know, know, maybe a specific example of how you've empowered your people. Well, for example, in the marketing department, we have hired a lot of creative people to whom we leave the freedom to design fonts, to design campaigns, booth, trade shows, websites, and play with social media, etc. with no control. So that has exposed us to risk, but also has exposed us to creative ideas that we wouldn't have if we had to decide everything ourselves. In the sales department, our salespeople are in complete control of the negotiation with the customer. They don't have to come back home and get approved. So they're trained. It takes us a long time before we empower them to go out there. But they're authentic business people and business leaders that are able to interact at the same level of the customer who is a businessman and entrepreneur in most cases. In the area of R&D, we define our research path into two areas. The divergent phase where everybody can say whatever and without feeling criticized for bringing up ideas that sometimes may sound a bit extreme. Basically, we look outside of the industry because we think the solutions to our product problems are outside our room or our industry. And then once we have defined all that, we create a convergent phase where all these ideas, they flow into a funnel. And from there, we develop the new solutions or the new product. So that DNA of La Matoka culture, how, how do you preserve that across very diverse cultures, for example, East Asia to Europe to Latin America. Well, Jeffrey, in the beginning, people were really just enjoy working with us by osmosis because we were different than traditional Western business culture. And they were just, you know, you had these great people that were more relaxed and more smiling and welcoming. And the customer was saying, oh, I got to do business with these guys, you know. And also the machines are good. They fit best in my coffee shop. And then we started to expand. And once again, we had the question, how do we continue to expand without losing our identity? So we worked at a new department called People and Culture, inspired by one girl in Australia that works in our office, that she was responsible for People and Culture for our Melbourne office. And so I started talking to her. Her name is Alex Jennings. And she inspired me to bring her ideas forward. I started to make an assessment of our business and I realized most of our distributorships were, yes, bringing the product closer to the customer, but we were distancing the culture. 
And hiring people they may have that same relaxed look wasn't necessary, meaning that these people were in line with the company culture. And so we started defining the company culture. We started studying it. We started creating classes for people to understand the culture. And we have appointed professionals within our team that have been highly trained to travel and explain and even give lectures on company cultures, even to our roasters, reseller customers, or even companies that are not even our customers. Now, this process is in the works, is not completely 100% efficient, but we're really getting there. For example, we have one class in academia next Monday and Tuesday and it's fully booked. And we couldn't, we had to refuse people because we had so many that are coming that they want to find out for themselves, pretty much what you're asking me, which is very intangible and difficult to explain because oftentimes it's connected with our right side of the brain, which is not connected to language. It's like, okay, I wanna buy an iPhone, it's more expensive, but it does the same thing in another brand, but I gotta have that, and or it feels right. We use this strange wording because we're unable to express via language, what we really mean when we say that we are connected with a brand, a company, or a product. Wow, fascinating, that sort of emotional side with the rational side combined. As human beings, we're all biochemically built the same way. So for me, it's impossible that you need to go to work and not have emotions and then go home and have emotions. So once you understand that, you'd stop expecting people to be different just because it's business, just because it's work. And that makes it more fun. In the beginning, it's kind of intimidating. And then slowly, slowly, people start being more natural, more themselves. They give you more ideas. I wonder if you could share now a little bit about your leadership ethos and perhaps introduce us to the four Ps. The strategy that we've developed is a four P strategy. It's based on three pillars. One is the product. The second pillar is academia, which is the big megaphone of our culture through experience with actually greenhouse connections with origin, botanical studies, university researches, classes, leadership classes, culture classes. And the third pillar of our industry is digitalization. As far as the general strategy, the one that you refer to, the 4P strategy, it basically reveres around people that are at the center of everything we do. This is important for the millennials especially because they need to feel connected, part of the result, part of the movement. The second piece, the plan, is the product. Our focus on the product is huge. I personally am one of the product managers. I sit in every meetings, I work with the development team to figure out more solutions that are in line with market requests and demands to solutionate issues. Planet is the third P. We are really careful of the planet. We are environmentalists. We are diehard capitalists, but we're not willing to ruin the world for money. We learned that now the only way to change something is to make it more profitable to be environmentally free to grasp the attention of the world than it is to just be environmentally sensitive just because it's a good thing to do. Because if the profit doesn't surpass the good reasoning behind being environmentally attentive, we won't get anywhere, unfortunately, because that's the greediness of the Western human beings. We have lots of programs in the sustainability area of our business. We're planting trees. We have a coffee plantation in Africa where we are investing heavily into creating the highest living quality for the people of our village. And then the fourth P is the profit, because 
you can't give what you don't have, uh, Jeff. So if we make enough profits, then we can do great things. So uh, just to summarize, the four Ps are people, product, planet, and profit. What a powerful conversation. Thank you, Guido, so much for joining us here at Fifth Wave Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave Podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And where possible, don't forget to give us a good rating. Also, please get in touch and tell us which topics are important to you so that we can make this podcast more relevant to your business. You can follow the link in the show notes to worldcoffeeportal.com slash fifth wave. This episode was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Brister. Normally, we'd be playing you a piece of music from the Coffee Music Project, but today, in the spirit of team culture, we're gracing your ears with a song by a valued member of Stumpdown's cafe team. The song you're hearing is Forceless by Erica Schaefer. Links to the music are in the show notes. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. Stay caffeinated.